Welcome to the Persuasion Lab podcast. I'm Martin Diros, expert negotiator. Unfortunately, the world isn't made to your specifications in all ways at all times, which means you need to be able to communicate your wants and needs so you can get them met. I'm here to teach you the tools and strategies so that you can do exactly that. Stay tuned after the episode for more information about the fully outfitted Digital Persuasion Lab or head over to thepersuasionlab.com to get started. On this week in the Persuasion Lab, we're going to talk about executive compensation agreements. As I record this, the job market is red hot for highly skilled workers at both ends, entry level now are starting at uh, well above um, minimum wage. Some of them are getting uh, signing bonuses. Even service workers I've worked with are getting $2,000, $1,500 signing bonuses at the lower end of the pay scale. And this is the benefit of having uh, many jobs open and too few workers. And that's something that as we come out of this pandemic and the economy is figuring out if it not wants to recover uh, is deciding. We need workers at all levels. And this episode is geared towards the executive compensation. If you're at the VP level, anything above the director level in an organization, there are some things that you're going to want to know about in your agreement. Even if it's a startup where it's a pretty flat organization, in other words, you may have a lot of VPs um, at a, a very low level versus, you know, uh, you know, mailroom to CEO and a Fortune 10 company can be hundreds of steps. But we're talking about executives for any type of organization. And a lot of them have most of these features, some may not. The first thing that you have in your relationship, if this is really an officer, a strategic employee you're bringing into the company, before you start talking details, the company, if they're savvy, uh, probably had you sign a non-disclosure agreement drafted by their attorney. And by the way, nothing you hear today is legal advice. This is um, just to know kind of what bullet points you should see in this type of executive compensation agreement. Um, you'd have an NDA, a non-disclosure confidentiality agreement, where you can discuss specifics and what you bring to the table, what's your 90-day plan, typical things you hear at the interview process. But we're talking about you actually get the offer. So the first thing you want to know is, What's the position? What are the duties? And I really emphasize what they're hiring you for because that can be a performance criteria and something you can fall back on if they had totally different expectations. So if that offer letter doesn't have what your duties are going to be at some level, it can be at a very high level, uh, that's important for you to make sure uh, both parties know what you're doing. And if something was said in the interview that didn't make it into the offer letter, you may want to have that 
corrected. Uh, and uh, your title. This is very important. Uh, a lot of people who want career mobility, they want to make sure they have some type of thermocline of uh, title in their on their resume. For example, you, you generally begin in a professional setting, say, as a entry-level person, uh, maybe called an analyst or specialist or something, and then you may get into supervisor and maybe into manager, maybe into director, maybe into VP, then you're in the C-suite uh, or chief something officer. And that's a lot of the, the spectrum of positions as you go up that corporate ladder and different uh Organizations, different industries have different titles, but that's just a working framework we'll use for our discussion. And uh, that title can mean a diff, uh, uh, the big difference in you getting a your next job. For example, if you're at the director level, generally one, not this is not board of directors, this is director in the company as an employee. You're one level below, say, a vice president. Vice president is considered an officer in most organizations. This is all determining the bylaws of the corporation, or if it's a limited liability company, a document called the operating agreement or something similar. So I'm at the director level. I'm uh, wanting to take the next step up. I would want my title to be vice president uh, or uh, something like that because uh, that shows on the resume that I'm actually making some uh, career um progress. So a lot of this is negotiated uh, often, and a lot of times it's successful, sometimes it's not. But it's important for you to know what that title will be uh, before you go in there. Uh, and there's something that's so petty, but uh, having worked in Fortune 500 companies and having been advised that, no, this is a big deal, uh, that's office space. And it gets really gray. Um in a lot of areas, I was uh, talking to a COO uh, recently, and you know the the rub was corner office versus bigger non corner office, and it's kind of funny how these little status things make a difference. You know, having that ninety degree um, view, or uh, yeah, in your corner office uh, may eclipse a much larger. <laughs> uh, you know, I guess, um, uh, whatever, zero degree, just one face uh, looking out on one side of the building. So these little things can be petty. But what I do think is if you're in a uh, uh, professional consulting, legal, uh, personal information handling job, uh, you've got to drive the decision to get a door, a door that sound does not go through generally. Um, a, but you have situations where, um, you know, as as an attorney, I have had to negotiate for a door because people were like, oh, we're an office, open office plan, or we're a cube environment. Well, you know, some of these privileges can be waived, of course, if you're saying it where people can hear. And secondly, you may not be able to if it's, um, you know, a consulting role, uh, uh, say a therapist, a medical doctor, where it's subject to HIPAA, and you, your voice really cannot be traveling for all of public. So uh, the, this office drama can be petty, 
or it can be very substantial in a legal sense. So again, talk to your attorney uh, about some of these things and, and what's involved. But generally, uh, negotiating for that door it may be very important. Um, next, you think about um, compensation issues. So, uh, you know, I, by the way, that off, these are not in order of priority. Um, the office may be minor, depending on what your goal is, but these are some things that typically come up. Uh, when we're talking compensation, there's a bunch of components. One is a base compensation, your salary, your W-2 money. Uh, then you can move on to benefits. There may be, um, you know, medical. If it's medical, how much do you contribute? Do they pick up? It? Are there any other benefits? Um, what Vacation, paid time off. Uh, is there a 401k retirement option? All these elements should be discussed in your agreement. Uh, the more uh, less frequent things I see that are important are things like severance. Now, you may think, oh, severance, that's a pipe dream. Nobody uh, pays that, but actually they do, especially if you're in an executive position, especially if you're mid-career. Why? Because it's really hard to get another job because generally at the higher end of the profession, the executive area, it will take you longer to land your next job. And you can be uh, unemployed or underemployed for long expanses of time. We're talking months, sometimes years. And if you are hired to bring about strategic change in the company and after six months, something happens and you find yourself looking for another job, having moved your family, say, to a different part of the country, uh, you may find yourself really um, having a hardship. Now, this is easier for people who were in the earlier part of their career. They're generally uh, a lot more jobs available, uh, generally more mobile. Uh, you know, personal experience, I moved my family 3,000 miles to work on the East Coast. Within 18 months, that company was sold, and essentially everyone went packing. Uh, I did not have a severance uh, in my contract, but what I did have is a hot job market, and I was easily employed immediately. Um but that may not be your situation. That may not be every economy. So you've got to prepare for contingencies. Um, you know, I do uh, uh, volunteer time at a uh, job seekers group, and the that demographic, I will be candid with you, are middle-aged people who get laid off because they are expensive, and they have long cycles between jobs. So ask for some type of severance. Uh, you're you know, the, the best time to ask for that is actually, uh, in my opinion, and talk to professional career coaches, which I am not. Uh, Delana Bradley, who's been on this podcast, she is a professional career coach. Um, I'd love you to uh, talk to her. Uh, you, you bring these things up at the initial thing because when they lay you off, that's generally a weaker position on getting severance. Uh, they offer maybe 
zero, maybe a week, maybe a month, but a month's uh, worth of expenses is may not bridge you to your next job unless you're very fortunate. Uh, most of the executives I work with, uh, it takes them a while to get their uh, next job. Uh, the quickest in one case, it was on the VP level, that took about a year. Um, uh, CEO level, that's like a two-year um Gig and they're not they're they're consulting they're they sometimes form their own consulting company and work with the companies but um, uh, getting that full time employee position as a C level exec is difficult uh, especially mid career um, and it really is um, something that severance is uh, more important for those uh, older workers listening here uh, and executives as well so. Once we have these, you know, we talk about severance, uh, some things that may be of value are stock options. I always, um, it's interesting the way these are played. I don't think they are um, something you should spend a lot of time on, but the package should include something like uh, the stock options, the stock option plan, the uh, 83B election, that's a tax document that lets you get capital gains treatment for your any equity as part of your comp. And then there's a, uh, a community property rider sometimes for uh, states that have community property for those um, partners of uh, the exec. So these are in that um, stock options package. There, there are a few moving parts uh, to it. But uh, what I say, stock options are awesome. Uh, I have had stock options as an employee, but the companies were never red hot for me to like retire on. And I do know some friends who who have retired on stock options. So, um, but I would uh, focus on uh, what I call total compensation, not counting on the stock option. In other words, uh, m- it's base compensation, yes, but don't look at that number. Do the math. What are these other benefits worth? What's your time off worth? What's your vacation time? You know, PTO, paid time off. Uh, is there a performance bonus? What are the performance criteria? Uh, I know one um, turnaround guy, he gets into trouble companies, comes in as a CEO. He'll uh, either bring them out of bankruptcy or near insolvency. Or uh, sometimes he will bring them from uh, marginal profit and he'll uh, work on profits to for an actual number like 12%. He'll hit that and this company sometimes being ready for sale. Once he hits that number, he knows he lost, lost his job because uh, a lot of these um, executive positions, they're from to take a company from point A to point B because that board knows – uh, that uh, we need this type of guy. He's done it before. He has a great track record of bringing us from point A to point B. Once you get at point B, uh, you sh- probably should be looking for another job before then. If you did your job and that's your value, that's your wheelhouse, that's why they hired you. And those are some of the the overall you know comp things you want to think about. There may be other documents you sign just not be on that offer letter if it's not in your offer letter you probably want to think about these things uh, one thing is uh, this idea of conflicts of interest can i work can i legally work for you or do i have a prior prior contract uh, telling me i can't work another agreement is called invention assignment that's whereby 
uh, everything I invent on watch at your uh, company, you own. This is fine. But if I have prior intellectual property, prior patents, prior inventions, prior copyrights, trade secrets, trademarks, whatever, uh, they generally have an exhibit where you disclose those in the back. I've seen them where they don't have that, where you work for us, everything you have, we own. That's true if you have no prior things. There's usually a cutout. Not every contract I've looked at has that cutout. So you've got to have this invention assignment with things that are yours and only yours, your prior inventions before you got working for the people. And those agreements, again, that's beyond the scope of what we're talking about today, but there are carve-outs for different things. Uh, the next thing I want to talk about is non-compete. Now, we have a whole podcast on the enforceability of non-competes, what can be in them. Basically, if they're enforceable at all, they have to be reasonable in you know, scope, meaning what industry, time, number of years or months, uh, and uh, geography. Where are they um, uh, 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 enforceable? North America, worldwide, etc. So they have to be reasonable on their face or they will be voidable or even void, meaning there's no such agreement. Uh, Non-solicitation, this has to do with... Um, your ability to recruit employees directly uh, should you leave, say, after these uh, clauses take place, after these agreements take place, after I leave the company, I like my department, I'm going to try to call them up and get them to work for me with NUCO. Um, Non-solicitation would bar you, and they generally make you pay. If you steal an employee, they generally make you or they ask uh, for you to pay for their salary. It's going to be very expensive. At the end of the day, what you want to do is um, put up general ads if you want people because no executive really can execute well if he comes into a company and he knows nobody there. He has no researcher, no you know prior relationships, uh, no research organizations he's worked with, no former employees that follow him. Generally, when an executive goes, he brings his – People he knows, likes, and trusts that help him execute his job uh, or her job effectively. Don't mean to be uh, gender specific there. Uh, so you want that ability and you don't want to sign non solicitation that um, are very broad. In other words, if someone uh, answers a general ad for an executive, you want that to be free because, again, the law does favor alienation of labor. We want people to be mobile between jobs. We don't want it there to be restraint, especially at the lower level um, of the organization. When you get there, they uh, you have this invention assignment, which is day one, everything you own, they own. But during the transaction, they may have you sign another agreement or work with another agreement called an invention disclosure. This means as I am an employee, I may come up with good ideas, especially if I'm, say, a chief technology officer. I want to disclose those. And those may have restrictions on intellectual property and such. Uh, they may have you sign up to having read the company policies and stuff like that. And these are some other things that are pretty typical. But that kind of caps off the executive compensation uh, things I wanted to talk about today. And again, uh, you'll probably have to speak up, uh, step up to some type of confidentiality. You want to know your position and duties and title. You may have to get into an office space haggling match. Uh, on your comp, look at the total number. Do the numbers because 
uh, you know, medical benefits can be huge. They can be tens of thousands of dollars a year. And that would go into your base, uh, you know, calculate that in your base comp. So really do run the numbers on that. Um, you want to talk about what the retirement contributions are, 401k match, all that. You want to talk about severance early on. Uh, it's your best position uh, to do that. And they can always say no. And um, these other things, the uh, am I conflicted out? Invention assignment, what are my prior inventions, uh, knowing that non-competes are very limited, uh, and uh, non-solicitation, I may want to have, of course, an attorney look at all these documents for you, because a lot of people, um, this is a big decision. This is a lot of dollars, generally. This can build careers, and can build your wealth, and it's worthy to get someone to look at it, uh, work with a, uh, uh, you know, a, uh, a career coach or someone like that who has experience in this area and a proven track record. And that's what I have to do about executive compensation. I do want to put a footnote in to people who feel like they can't negotiate, they can't ask. You can always ask. Just don't demand. And the way to negotiate is when you get the offer letter and you know kind of what it looks like, ask questions about it. Are they open to a severance? Because I'm mid-career, I'm mid-life, it may be uh, difficult for me to get a job. Or uh, I don't understand, you say it has medical benefits. What does that mean? Do I pay them all? Do you pay them all? Do we pay a percentage? Getting specific on that is perfectly legitimate. So ask, please ask for specifics when you get that offer letter because ambiguity is hard to advocate from. Thanks for joining me today in the Persuasion Lab. This is Martin Medeiros.